Make money online. So, you know more about this than I do. Uh, the the We have another wonderful reader question, and I definitely want to encourage anybody listening who has a question for us, uh, go to makemoneyonline.exposed. In the footer of the website is an email address. Email us, and uh, your question will be added to the pile, and we will get to it eventually, we promise. Uh, we love getting reader questions, and uh, we do a little bit of light editing on them. And this one boils down to... How, as consultants, do you work with large internal teams? And this is a question that Nick is, I think, more suited to start the conversation out on about. So uh, I'm going to pass it over to Nick. Nick, how do you work with large internal teams? Carefully. Very carefully. <laughs> so I, I uh, in Draft Revise, I work with really big teams. And, uh, and they, they really vary in size. Like, it's... I, I'm currently working with two teams and one of them is five people and one of them is like 30 people. And I've also worked in businesses that have been like 50 or 100 people or whatever have you. And um, there's no real like one thing that I can recommend for that. It's figure out who you're working with, figure out who has final approval authority on everything and set boundaries that are healthy as a consultant so that you are ensuring that your your you shouldn't be another full-time employee you should be there as a consultant right so keeping that in mind um the relationship is going to look a little bit different than it looks when you're working with an employee uh working as an employee so what does that mean, right? And I think that's a better question to be asking in this situation. Some people are like, well, only put a few designated people on our company Slack team. And other people are like, I'll join the other company's Slack. And it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what you're doing. Make sure that it works well for your communication style and that you're setting proper boundaries. Is the external team in a different time zone? Great. You have operational business hours because you actually care about yourself and you want to make sure that you are caring for yourself as much as humanly possible. Um, so you have to have business hours and be very clear about what those look like for people. Um, what else? I, I think that... <sighs> When you're coordinating with a team, have a final point of approval and a process for dealing with the work. Have clear responsibilities established for everybody in the team. Have a fallback plan in case those people cannot happen to fulfill those responsibilities because people get busy. Weird stuff happens all the time, right? So with that in mind, how do you deal with all of those things? Um it's kind of the the overall game plan. I think that gives us a starting point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I personally try to nope out of ninety percent plus of it. I if I'm working on a project that involves a large team, uh, in my contract I specify that my primary point of contact is the person who's signing the check and who I'm directly working with, and. I might integrate in conversations with other team members. Hey, I need you to explain how XYZ works because I'm putting together a report that involves XYZ. But the the other team members aren't able to assign work to me, aren't able to necessarily give feedback to me. It all goes through my central point of contact. And I've done that to sort of isolate and sandbox me from different business units, different egos fighting each other. And it... I could definitely say that 
it is not the perfect way to do it because I think a more integrated approach in some cases works better. But for my personality and for what I found the types of projects I work best on, isolating myself in that way from the greater team in a company has worked well so I could focus on doing the thing they hired me to do, giving the advice, getting the information I'm searching for from these other team members, and then delivering it to my primary point of contact. I've been on consulting engagements before where the kickoff call was supposed to be two people and it ended up being nine people. There was one person on the Kai side and eight people on the other side, and it was a terrible, terrible kickoff call because we got two hours into the hour-long agenda and I just threw up my hands and said, we're gonna redo this, one person on the call, let's reschedule because there were too many people in the room and too many egos in the room and we weren't able to get anything done. And my job as a consultant is not to provide an excuse to have meetings with multiple people. My job as a consultant is to help the client achieve the outcome they hired me to help them get closer to achieving. And I can't necessarily do that if there are lots of stakeholders and lots of people feeling like they're going to grab my time and attention and lots of people giving unsolicited input. So I want to silo and sandbox myself as much as possible. There is a literal wall of fire around me. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked so much about setting boundaries with client engagements. Working with a team is another exercise in setting healthy boundaries in a client engagement. Uh, If you are working with a company of any appreciable size, it's likely that you are going to be working with more than one person and you effectively apply the exact same techniques, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Try and keep design by committee from happening. Try and keep fiefdoms and turf warfare from happening. If those things happen, go high up in the organization. You're a consultant and you should be working with the C-level by definition. Mm -hmm. So make sure before you go in that you get approval from the very top of the organization before you're doing this. Um, That way, when you have to go ahead and triage bigger issues, you're more capable of doing so. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember uh, one one case study and bad experiences I could share where I was brought on as a consultant and as part of the consulting engagement, we were making a, I think it was like a mid five figure recurring annual purchase. It was a CRM integration that touched multiple business units. And there was a three day long fight that I was involved in as like the person cowering in the corner of the room between the CEO and the COO on whose business credit card to use to make the purchase. And I was the one making the purchase. So it was emails back and forth. Kai use this one. No, use this one. No, use this one. And I just was like, my job Children. is to stand over here and what let the you fuck figure is this that? Out. Yeah. It, yeah. I would actually write children. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Probably in an email. Like that's not okay. It, like it was bonkers. Like, like what are you eight? Exactly. Like, <laughs> Who needs the points now. more? <laughs> Can we put it on my card? Do, and you, I invoice? do you want me to charge half to your card and half to your card? And you could both, instead of going to Heathrow, go to Belize. <laughs> But there, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. But there's a lot that could come up when working on teams, even when you don't expect it, even when everything's been perfect up until one point, because suddenly an ego gets thrown in the meat grinder and what you thought was like, oh, I'm just going to say like the slider on the homepage sucks. 
you know, David spent three months working on that slider and you just stepped on a landmine. And it can be tricky to work with teams because you as a consultant are going into an existing relationship without understanding all the parameters and all the history of the relationship that these multiple people are involved in working on this in, in this company. So it could be very easy to accidentally shoot a sacred cow or accidentally yeah. push in the wrong direction. So I think jumping back to your earlier comment, setting boundaries is so important. Setting communication standards, communicating, you know, my point of contact is this person. I'm going to solicit input from these other people, but you are the person who is able to say, do not do that thing or do that thing. I will take input from other people people, but I could discard it at will. It's only you, dear person who wrote me the check, that gets to give that final authoritative thumbs up or thumbs down. That I found either makes people freak out and, okay, great, that's a huge brown M&M. That's a sign this is not going to work well together. You're hiring me to, or you are bringing me on as a consultant to suddenly have four new bosses. No, hard pass. If they are open to that or say, yes, that makes perfect sense, great, you pass the test. This is going to be a better than average client engagement. But it all starts from a position of communicating this at the start of the engagement. You are not bringing me on as a consultant to work with eight different people as eight different bosses across this organization. You're bringing me on as a consultant to help you achieve an outcome. To achieve that outcome, I need to be laser focused. To be laser focused, I need one point of contact and one point of approval and authority to solicit input from other people on the team. That is the groundwork we need to start from. We can negotiate from there. Maybe you have a business partner who really needs to be involved in this discussion. Great, let's talk through about why and how we can make that happen. But we need to start from a baseline and then move the needle. We can't start from client defines it. We'll figure it out along the way. We really need to start from these are the best practices that I am bringing to the table. Let's negotiate on what works and what does not work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having the, having the single point of approval, having it come from the top, these are things you should be doing as a consultant. You are a consultant. You are listening to a podcast by two consultants. Otherwise, you're a contractor. That's it. Mm -hmm. Slash zero from your hourly rate also. <laughs> We're so sorry. And also, you're fired at the drop of a hat whenever you start talking about business needs. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. So uh, how about instead of that, not that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And a, uh, lot of it, a lot of it comes down to the mental game of consulting, as it often does. Having the self-confidence and, to jump back to the previous episode, the mental approach to positions of abundance or an abundant position in your business to be able to make these uh, uh, I'm going to say claims to make these demands, to put these requirements on the table. This is the way I work best. If they say no, you realize, okay, great. There's a dozen, two dozen, 10 dozen other clients out there waiting for me. This one would have been a bad fit and caused me to pull my hair out. I am happy that they noped on my requirements early on because it's making the space for me to focus on my business, on my products, on other leads, on other project opportunities, or on completely non-business things that bring me joy in my life. So it's a good thing, I think, if you have strict requirements around how you work with internal teams or large internal teams, communicate those requirements ahead of time, and essentially you're searching for that no. You want to present it in such a way where they're like, oh, we can't do that. We need, you know, seven different people having authority over your decisions. No, sorry, it won't work. Let's end the conversation now. And then you move on to the next leader prospect in your pipeline. Um, yeah, yeah. What are the other big things we should be talking about here? Um, 
What I found successful is, and, and this echoes what I advised earlier on in the episode, carving out sort of a smaller group that you report to. So they might have a large marketing team, a 20-person marketing team, and they want you integrated fully with that marketing team. Well, okay, what are the roles on the marketing team? And who do you actually need contact with? Okay, great. Let's define that as the people who need to know that I'm involved on this project and that I'm in contact with. And that finds a middle ground where you're saying these are the people that I'm going to communicate with and I'm not communicating with other people because you aren't paying for me to have a meeting with Joe over in accounting about whatever he wants to talk about, you are paying me to help you achieve this outcome. If it relates to Joe, let's have that meeting with Joe. If it doesn't, let's pull back and not have that meeting with Joe. But it comes yeah. down to having that strength of ego. Uh, one of the best things that I do is people are like, can we get on a meeting right now? And I'm like, no. <laughs> yep. Because I'm, I'm working for other clients. Like you don't own me. Yep. And that always happens. That always ends up happening. People are like, but this needs to happen. I'm like, not really. <laughs> why? Why? Um, I found asking why is so important in those situations. This oh, absolutely yeah, needs why. to happen now. Yeah. Why? It's on the calendar. Why is it on the calendar? We put it on the calendar. Why'd you put it on the calendar today? We thought you'd be available. Okay, so I'm not available. Here's a link to my Calendly. Feel free to pick any time that works for you and your team. And we can have that meeting then. And they're just like gobsmacked. They're like, yeah. what is this? Yeah. Like what? Oh my God. Yeah. But it comes down to confidence in yourself and having a healthy yeah. and strong ego. And those are sort of abstract things to be recommending, but I think they are qualities that anybody can develop. If you feel like you don't have a strong, a strong sense of self-confidence or a strong ego, there are a dozen self-help books out there. There are a dozen resources. Uh, I highly, highly, highly advocate seeing a therapist or a counselor. It's been one of the best investments I've ever made in my oh life. Oh, my God. See I, a therapist. Please. All of you. Uh, another a great book I just read recently was, uh, I can't remember the author's name, uh, Fuck Feelings, just talking about the different ways we feel bad about things and deconstructing why and do you necessarily need to feel bad about this? Do you need to take responsibility for what somebody else is feeling? Or do you focus on your own feelings and then say, is this a necessary feeling for me to be feeling right now? Do I need to feel guilty or sad or angry about this? No, fuck it. And wonderful book. Highly, highly recommend Fuck Feelings. I think if you suffer from having a weak ego or not having as much self-confidence as you wish you did, well, when you work with large internal teams, if either of those are true, you're going to be more at the mercy of the team than not. So it's important to work on radical self-development. So you are able to come in and be like, no, I'm confident. I'm here to solve a problem. If you aren't able, dear client, to deliver on what I need to solve this problem, this isn't my fault and you aren't going to yell at me over this. I clearly said I need A, B, C, and D. You did not deliver A, B, C, and D. This is how we need to go. You need to get me A, B, C, and D. And be aggressive about it. Be pushy with it. You are brought in as an expert to help them solve a problem. So as an expert, be willing to define what you will and won't do. Be willing to define what you need to move forward and be willing to define who on the team you are working with or reporting to. Because if you don't make those definitions, somebody else will. And they will make those definitions for their benefit. And you're going to lose out on that game. 